All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up, what's up? This is your host, Questlove of Questlove Supreme. How y'all been doing? I hope y'all been doing fine. So we're doing it a little bit different this year. We're recording some special QLS episodes this season. And in order for you guys to get more familiar with anyone on this show who's not me, uh, which is always a good thing in my opinion, I decided that I wanted each member of the Supreme team to get their own rogue episode, an interview, and do sort of a one-on-one-ish. And we kicked it off, of course, with Sugar Steve with his dream interview, uh, his epic two-part conversation with Elvis Costello, and they recorded at Electric Lady Studios, one of the first in-person QLS uh, episodes since the pandemic back in March of 2020. So this particular go-round, we are passing the microphone, if you will, to our brother Fontigolo. Fontigolo, what's up, man? Yes, indeed. What's up, man? Congratulations. It's our first one since uh, since the big win, man. Everything. That's right. Everything changed. (laughs) Yes, everything. (laughs) The price is going up. No, I'm playing. Yesterday's price (laughs) is not today's today's price. price. I love it. Yeah. So similar uh, to Sugar Steve, Fonte's guest is a gentleman uh, that he has worked closely with, actually, that I've actually collaborated with as well. And this particular Questlove Supreme guest is none other than Mr. Eric Roberson, and he's Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, producer, and music industry OG. And um, I just want to welcome him. Please welcome him to Questlove Supreme. What's up, Eric? Uh, honor to be on here, man. Congratulations as well. First chance to get to tell you that. Uh, appreciate y'all having me on here. I'm kind of hella je- jealous of your background right now. <laughs> yeah, his, his Zoom, I think it's only second to Will Smith's Zoom. Yes, like, when exactly. His, wow. right. like you. Will's, Will's Zoom was like, that shit looked like HDTV. Yeah, you yeah. look like you're in the Garden of Eden right now. Like, what does this represent, this particular background? 
this this background is part of just my basement <laughs> and what I've learned during the pandemic, man. I was doing virtual shows. I teach class sitting here as well. Uh, I got I got sound effects and and all kind of you know all kind of stuff here. Just uh, you know applause. I love and, it. You know whatever we need. To yeah, do. yeah. Before so before you got on, before you came on with me, he was talking to us, and he's gonna be the one to kind of help us get roll call back. Cause he got some tools. Yeah. You know how apps. to deal with it. No latency. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's several different things that we can get fixed, but yes, I told Laia, let's, let's talk And Tim. Cause I, when the first pandemic started, the first thing I started doing, I made an album, but the second thing I did was like, how do we do shows? And then I probably spent, shout out to my boy, DJ Mosky in LA, probably about a month or two months staying up all night just trying to all those things figure out latency figure out like looping things back like playing things from a computer hearing it and then sending it back into the web um, all that stuff man we, we crashed and burned on it so yeah let's let's talk after afterwards i, I got y'all forget the interview let's talk now <laughs> <laughs> now i'm gonna leave y'all to it uh again thank you very much for doing this and uh hit it fonte yo all right man so listen though like I'm sitting here, and as much as we work together, there are just very, I think, crucial things in your life that me and you have never talked about. That's crazy. Like when we, like when we, when we was on the phone the other day after the Fred Hammond interview, and you were telling me about like what commission meant to you, and like how mm. something as simple as just seeing gospel singers on an album cover with jeans on. Yeah, you know, for yeah. for you know, for a heathen like me, that was nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but nah, man. Um, yeah, talk about you know how you got started. Like, what was your first kind of introduction into music? My dad plays guitar and sings. Uh, my sister, I have an older sister. My sister Alicia, love you, Lee. And um, and you know, I think that all my introduction really started from that. Just being a little brother, had to follow her around, and she was the one who actually had a band in high school and she did theater and was making clothes and all kinds of, so whatever she was doing is the little brother. I went to the piano lessons. I went to dance recitals. I went to the theater classes, went to her band rehearsals. And, um, I think a lot of it just rubbed off on me. Of course, we sing in the church on Sunday. We got choir mm-hmm. rehearsal two days out the week or whatever you choir, emergency choir, whatever we was, whatever choir we were in. And of course, then of course, you know, we we boom bapping on the on the cafeteria table with our friends, freestyle rhyming, dreaming of being UTFO or whoever. So I mean, was, you know, I mean, I'm from Jersey. It's just like a, I was born in Newark, but I was raised in Rawway, yeah, Rawway, 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 Jersey. And um, and I think just when it came time to do music, like, what do you do? Like, you know, it's like, do you do gospel music? Do you do house music? Do you do rap? Do you do R and B? Do you, do, well, you know, I, I was really struggling with that. But I will tell you that, you know, several moments that was really impactful for me. I remember when like going through my dad's vinyl and realizing that this was somebody's job. Like somebody, like they do this for a living. Like I remember taking a Stevie Wonder record, like, so he wrote this stuff and like, he called, he put this together. Like, oh, okay, this is a job. I couldn't even tell you how old I was, but I remember that being really impactful. Like I know my dad goes to work. This person goes to work and they do this. They do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and my dad would come home and pick the guitar, but we had a guitar like in every room, you know? But with did your dad, did he have personal, did, did he have like aspirations of being a professional musician or was it just like a hobby, just something he did? For just a hobby, just a relief, just really, I think when my dad, and my dad was kind of late in joining church, but when he joined, he joined, you know, <laughs> he became a powerhouse 
in that in that church as a vocalist. Me, my whole family was in the church before. Mind you, my grandfather's a pastor. My dad's brothers were pastors. My my mom's brothers were all deacons. So I think everyone had yeah. found church before my dad. My dad was very reluctant. <laughs> he found it, boy. He he found it. You know. <laughs> And, and I remember uh, you telling me, I think, isn't like some of your people, I think is your grandfather, like, don't you have some ties in North Carolina? I think I either, oh, yeah. I feel like my, either your mom or dad told me this. My mom and dad, my mom and dad are both from, uh, from North Carolina. Yeah. So a town called Greenville and a little town called Stokes is where, uh, wow. where my family, wow. my family, Greenville, North Carolina and Stokes, North Carolina, you know? So, um, yeah, and everybody's still there. For the most part, I had, you know, some family on my mom's side move up north. When, when my when my parents relocated, came up north and stuff like that. But for the most part, most of my family's in North Carolina. Yeah. So when I first this heard up, commission, man. we won. Um, I think my parents got a a tape, a commission tape from the family reunion, and, <laughs> and uh, I remember I was ironing my clothes and. I put the tape in. I was like, oh, let me just put this tape and listen to some music. I didn't know what it was. Right. I I, I didn't even catch the album cover yet, but I remember. Um, I was ironing my clothes and I just looked down and 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 my clothes are wet. Like there was mm. drops of wetness on my on my clothes and I didn't realize I had started crying on my clothes. I'm probably like 12 to 11, 12, 13 years old and the music was like punching me in the chest. Like it literally was punching me in the chest. I remember this day like it was yesterday. I remember I saying whatever that is, like point at the point at the radio like whatever that is, I want to do that. Like I want to do whatever that is cuz it was the most impactful moment. And from that moment on, I was like, all right, learn everything I can about commission, learn everything I can about who's this Fred Hammond guy. I'll learn everything I can about him. And uh, and then, like I said, you know, up to that point, just keeping really 100, you know, a young kid growing up in church, you had an excuse when you see, I'm not even going to, I was about to name church, church people that <laughs> might not have came <laughs> off so cool. They sounded great, but they didn't come off yeah. so cool. They you were know? always like three, four years behind what exactly. was going so on in pop like, music. Okay, you you heavy in the church because you kind of corny. You, know, you, can, you can't be in the club, so maybe that's why mm-hmm. you... That's why you singing this, because clearly if you wasn't as corny, maybe you'd be singing with Guy right. and Audition singing. <laughs> and the commission came out, they had gumbies and jeans on. They look like, they look fly. And I was like, mm-hmm. why are they singing this? There must be something impactful to them. Plus it already kind of blew me away and stuff like that. And it was, it was, it was a really monumental thing, but it really more strengthened my pen game. It made me say, like really write something true that could be penetrating to somebody. And I think that was the first, like first time I got on that course of doing that. Man, man I wanted to uh, talk to you or I wanted you to talk about uh, your parents. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. You know, me and you, we've been, you know, we go back, God, I mean, shit, it's almost 20 years at this point. Indeed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, man, your parents, you know, I, I just, in the time that we work together and I will always see your parents always there, like supporting you, helping you, you know what I mean? Um, pulling up at shows. Your dad, and I don't even know if we ever talked about this. I know I've never talked about this publicly, but the day that we shot, the picture perfect video when we shot the picture perfect video in in brooklyn yeah i don't even know if me and you ever talked about this this is one of the worst days of my life (laughs) (laughs) we have not talked about this oh wow okay okay bro listen so that morning i flew into philly and then because we were shooting in brooklyn so i flew into philly and your dad came and picked me up from the airport so this is like 
oh god maybe we shot it on like a let's say we shot it on like a friday or something i don't know but anyway we shot it on a friday and literally i think that tuesday that was when my divorce started Mm. that was when like me and my you know pre we separated so the day of that picture perfect video shoot i am a fucking wreck <laughs> I, I do not I, I, as, far, as much as i had as much as i wanted to do it and as you know as much as i love everybody involved man that shit was a wreck but i was riding in the car with your dad your dad came and picked me up from the airport and then he uh took us to brooklyn to where the shoot was and so we were sitting in the car bro and um you know and and your dad is i mean pops is pops he is hey what's yeah. going on young man what's happening let's let's talk about it. you know he's just on yeah and i just broke down crying and wow. he was just like, yo, he's like, man, you all right? And I'll never forget this. I asked him, I said, I said, Pop, I said, look, I, I just got to ask you, man. I said, you know, have you ever, you know, thought of a time where, can you, do you ever remember, uh, you ever thought, you know, in all your years of, you know, being married, you ever thought that like marriage maybe wasn't for you? And he was like, he said, like, oh, that's strong. He said, that's tough right there. <laughs> Why you got him down to a science is amazing. <laughs> Bro, I'll never forget this shit long as I live, dog. So I was like, damn. He's like, oh, that's tough right there. And I'll never get, he gave me some of the most like timeless, just most perfect advice that has been just like a guiding light, you know, for everything. You know what I mean? Just in my career and just, you know, whenever I have to make tough decisions. And he just said, he said, well, listen, man. He said, look, no matter what you choose, no matter what decision you make, it's going to be the right decision because it's your decision. <laughs> Godly. <laughs> no matter oh. what decision you make, it's going to be the right decision because it's your decision. Because it's your decision. That sounds so much like that, man. <laughs> Bro. So, yeah. So that was so that was my life was changed in like an hour and a half ride with this guy. What impact did your parents have on your? You'll speak to their impact on you as an so artist. So first of all, career. why why did you fly to Phil? Why did you fly in Philly? We we shot in New York. I think I can't remember what it was. I think we were because I think your if I'm not mistaken, I think your parents were bringing your clothes or something. They had to drive up to Brooklyn anyway. Okay. So yeah. I think it just made sense. It was like, all right, just flying to Philly and I'll just ride up with Pops. I think that was the logic. If but, you know, correctly. even before I even answer your question, the interesting thing is maybe the reason why you flew into Philly is because you needed that time to have that conversation. I mean, 100 percent. We know you that know, was the real it's like, reason. It's amazing how things work out. But, <laughs> you know, it's first of all, I've been very fortunate to have the most amazing parents in the entire world. Just the most supportive, supportive parents from day one to just even today, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just really, um, and that answer is so funny. I always joke to say that my dad has never given me a straight answer ever in life, right? My dad <laughs> is always, so when I walk to my dad, I'm like, you know, heartbroken. I would say, dad, but did you ever go through whatever? His answers are usually, that, that answer is so him, whatever decision you make is gonna be the right decision because it's your decision, right? So, so for example, my dad's a junior. And he was hell bent on making sure I wasn't the third. Reason why he's like, yo, mm-hmm. I need you to go your own path. I need go you to your own, way. your own way. And so if I ever said, like, Dad, you like this outfit? He'd be like, Do you like the outfit? <laughs> right? He's like, he never he never just go, Yeah, it's dope. I do it my entire time of knowing my dad. Not one time. Dad, you like this hat? I love the hat. Keep rocking. He'd be like, Dad, you like this hat? Are you wearing it? How's it make you feel? 
you know. <laughs> I love it. Going to wear the hat then, right? It's like what that in is the Fox. world. But what I did notice is that throughout my life, when I go back and like reflect back on the life, he would never give me an answer. He'd never give me a direction, but he was always like, little nudge. Okay, he's a little off. Mm-hmm. Close. No answer, but nudging back again. Just, like it was just, just like putting up putting up guardrails. Putting yeah. up guardrails throughout my entire life, through all the failed record deals, throughout, you know, the tough times trying to struggle, going back to college and and, and whatever. And my mom was more like the I remember when I had um, left school, you know, I did the Warner Brothers thing and I went to mm-hmm. Island Records and I was out of school for like a year and a half. And my mm-hmm. mom was like, so what's up with the record deal? And I was like, I, I, I think it kind of dried up. She's like, so you know you got your scholarship still, right? You need to go to A-Build and like, <laughs> listen. So I went I went there the next time and they, they didn't like offer the scholarship. They were like, I was like, my, I went back and it was like, they were like, nobody was like bringing it back up. She said, you need to go in there. You need to sing. You need to sign sign autographs. You need to hug every single person. You need to do whatever you need to do. But when you walk out of that A-Building, that scholarship needs to be back. And I was like, Okay, cool. I walk back. There, I love you to the moon. I walk in like, hey, you know, right, right. you didn't even sing at your bar mitzvah. Whatever. It's like did a meet and, and greet. And, yeah. So she was the one. She she'll be the one who's like, you know, I'm gonna give you some direction. This is what you need to do. You know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and they were the perfect. They're the perfect. Um, I tell you the the two most impactful moments in my my childhood. My mom, when I was, uh, I think a freshman in high school. I remember her coming home. And she had quit her corporate America job. She worked for AT&T. And she was like, I can't do it no more. I'm done. I'm so un- I'm just unfulfilled. I'm done with it. I remember he wasn't mm-hmm. talking to us. She was talking to my dad. And he was like, okay, all right, cool. And she had quit her job to start a business in fashion. Wow. And that was really important. Like, I own my own business. My sister owns her own business now. And I think mm-hmm. it comes from that day. Entrepreneurship. My mom. Yeah. Exactly. But then the other part was... I think like the next day, my dad had this Lincoln Mach 7, white with a blue rag top, sweet, gorgeous car. And the next day he put a for sale sign on it and mm. it sold within hours. Like somebody drove by and mm. bought it like boom. And he went and bought this big old old gray van to drive my mom's clothes around. So it was like the moments of entrepreneurship and then like support your partner. Yeah, you know nah, I mean? true that's sacrifice it. and support. Yeah, that's real. And, and I think, you know, I think I'm an example of entrepreneurship, but at the same time, you know, I, my, if you, anybody knows me and my wife, it's like, it, that's how we, I'm driving, she holding the map. She driving, <laughs> holding the map. Like, all right, it's the turn. You know what I mean? So I'm constantly trying to figure out what's the great van in my marriage. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and doing that. And I, and it's, it's, whole, it's completely watching, watching my parents, you know, I give everything to them. You know what I mean? It's enormously supportive. What I'll tell you, my dad, you know, you know, him, he goes by pop. Everybody calls him pop. Mm-hmm. And most of my friends, unfortunately, did grow up with dads, you know, for whatever reason, whatever. (laughs) And my dad was not just my dad. My dad was the dad to my community, to all my straight up. So it's like he earned straight up. He earned that term pop, like to not just in high school, not even just college, but then all the bands that played from all the musicians that played for me just all the times, all the cats he picked up from the airport. Or it might have been going through a hard time. Yo, he's he's like for real. If anyone's ever earned that term pop, you know, it's one thing to be a dad, you know, and he's been a great dad to me, but he's been a mm-hmm. pop to like the music community. Like they these stories I hear all the time because he's taking time to invest 
and everybody. And what's crazy is they live 10 minutes down the street from me. People will go see them. I call my <laughs> dad. They go like, see yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, they ain't called. What? <laughs> they come to see Pop. They come to get mama. They come to see Pop. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that, that speaks volumes, you know, for how amazing they are. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I wanted to go back to uh, one of the things that we that I noticed when we first started working together. Um, particularly when we would do videos together, like we did Picture Perfect and then we did We Are On The Move and, you know, stuff. You have a very much uh, uh, kind of like a a, the, a theater presence, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, the thing I, I noticed when we would work is in videos, like you use your whole body. Like you use your hands, <laughs> you use your leg, like you do, like I was like, okay, he's like really a performer. And um, one of the first times we went, we did a show together. And I just remember at the end of the show, I was just sitting on the side watching. And at the end of the show, you was like, you know, you're like, yo, my name is Eric Robeson. And it has been my great um, honor to perform for you tonight. 
And yeah. that is just something that it, that really resonated with me. And I, and I, you know, I never forgot that because it's, it's something that I think a lot of artists don't really take and understand the importance of giving a performance, you know what I'm saying? Of, of using the stage as uh, you know, as your place to really perform and express yourself and give the audience an experience. And um, I have to think that a lot of that came from your experience in Howard uh, in their musical theater department. And I just wanted to, you know, you touch on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, because my sister, I grew up doing theater, really got heavy into it in like junior high and high school. And then, um, I got a scholarship to Howard and going to my parents saying, Hey, I want to, I want to, if I could have majored in R and B, I'd have majored in R and B. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> if I could have majored in commission, I would have majored as this. Right, right. But that, obviously that didn't exist. So there was a musical theater major. I went and saw a performance of dream girls before I, before I ever went to Howard. Okay. And I was blown away by like just the talent there. I was like, Oh, I got to get it together. And um, I'll tell you, it was a, it was a blessing going, you know, first of all, I was around, just killers. The, the teachers were great. The students were great. Just you saw the future of theater, the future of acting, the future of everything in that in that department. The third floor was the music department. The first floor was the theater department. Mm-hmm. And I probably learned more about music on the first floor in theater because theater was talking about like character development and like you know if you say but it's true. Well, what does true mean? What is true to you? And we might talk 10 minutes about just the word true. So let's back it up. What's the first time you ever heard true? Where were you at the first time you ever heard that word? Oh, I heard it when I was in kindergarten. Okay. Was it true then? And then, you know, it's like mm. the teachers would dissect it. Now say it again. Now you're like, so is it true? Before I could even say it, tears fall on my, I mean, it was like dissecting it. So of course, <laughs> now you talk about like trying to write songs and things like that. What if I bring this into that area? What if I bring theater into these? It's all us as singers and rappers, we're just characters. The songs are just scripts. You know, yeah. the music is just the scenery. The stage is a scene. It's like, you know what I mean? So it's like, how can we bring this to a another another level? And for me, whether it's in the studio, whether it's on stage, whatever, yeah, it's like, how can we bring this this character? Not not just that. If I'm sad, the bass player need to be sad. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't be pouring my we heart. We all gotta out. be telling the same story. Yeah, we all gotta be telling the same story. So the drummer can't be happy like cat and I'm gonna <laughs> sit here like, how could you let me down? Or or vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think um I think a lot of my friends from Howard are surprised I didn't follow a career in theater, but but when I also feel like I fulfill my 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 theater needs in my music, in my writing, and in my performance as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think the choice, a lot of it came from my desire to write. Like, sure, if in theater, I would have been re- auditioning and then rehearsing and probably not doing my own material. I'll be taking on other characters with this one. I Take was like, well, I, could, I could write about, you know, I could really dive into it. And it and it worked. I think when people listen to even to my music, if not every most song, you're going to find a song on every album where it's like it's musical theater. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's oh, yeah. Like, no, nah, you had you was a record. I forgot which album it was on. But it was called the, the Magician, I think, where magician. you like were speaking from the aspect of magician. I was just like, man, I would never do a song like that. I would be so scared to do a record <laughs> like that. Oh, I don't know. It's just I, I was I just thought it was just a really brave choice. But you always took those kind of choices where you would really like embody a character. I mean, it's one thing to rap as that character, right? It's one thing to be yeah. slick Rick and like you know 
you know, the cop shot the kid, you know, to, like to do all yeah. the voices, but you don't really see that in, in R&B as, as singers. And I, I always thought that was uh, really admirable and just always admired you for taking those kind of cho- those kind of chances in your stuff. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from your pen. You know, if I, I and I even say this, you know, I, the first time I ever witnessed it, a person writing a song without writing it down was watching you. Uh, when we did oh, wow. Been in Love, and remember, what was love. You, yes, indeed. So we did Been in Love, you were having a conversation with my dad. I was setting the music up, and my dad was talking, and you took my dad's conversation. Remember this day like it was yesterday? The exact conversation, <laughs> and you made it rhyme. And you you were like, the beat was ready. And he was like, yeah, I'm ready. And then you just walked in and took everything that y'all were talking about and just rhymed it down. I, it blew me away that somehow you processed all that in your head without putting it on paper. And it took me some time, but you know, probably I haven't written a song down probably for the last 10 years, mm-hmm, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so a lot of it is like seeing what you did, of course, hearing what Biggie's doing and hearing Jay-Z, but then seeing what you did. And then for me, applying like theater background, for me, I, mm-hmm. my first thing is like, all right, who do I want to be in the song? What's the character? The more the more developed the character is, then I just hit record because now mm-hmm. I just got to make it rhyme. I, the, the objective is all there. The character is all there. And then and then just make it rhyme. But I, but a lot of it was sparked from like watching you do it. I was like, that's so crazy. Man. I was like, yo, did this cat just literally. <laughs> first, of, first of all, not only just that, did you wrote a song in your head, but you wrote a song in your head while talking to somebody. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was just, that was, again, just your pop, man. Like, that was pops. He just, you know, would just come in and just drop these jewels, and he just start talking. And, <laughs> all right, young man, well, tell me about, let me talk to you about this. And he just be talking. I'm just soaking this shit in. I'm like, man. And so I just went in and did it. And the crazy stuff now is, like, kind of the roles are reversed because you don't write down and I'm constantly like writing prompts like in my phone. Like um I, I think I think for me what changed was the process because at that time we did been in love, man. That was shit. That was damn old yeah. five, six, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um and so at that time, that's when we were recording at the studio. And so that was just kind of my process. I would just turn the beat on, just crank it up, and I would just walk around, pace just kind of just, you know, run it in my head, just kind of write the verse in my head with the music up. But then around like 09, that was when, um, and it's in the studio. It's in, we're, in some, we're in a studio. So, you know, time is money. We just want to be efficient. So that was how we learned just in those early Little Brother records. It's like, all right, get in, get out. You know what I'm saying? It just had to be, you had to be on it. Right. So around like 09, once we moved back to, when I built my studio at the crib, you know, I mean, my kids are here. I can't be just cranking shit at three in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so my process changed. And so that was when I kind of had to go back to just like actually writing either on paper or, you know, sometimes my phone or whatever, but just going there. And so from the time when we were working at first, it just my whole thing was just like one take. I got to get it down. It's just one take, one take, Jake. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's got to be. But um, once I got home and uh, talking to another co-collaborator, I was Feral Munch. Uh, talking to him and he had a completely different approach and he would say he said man when i go to the booth i treat it like i'm a director you know what i'm saying he said so i look at my verse like okay i'll do a take but it's like hmm the and in that verse i may want to stick that better because that'll lend and i'll just go in and get just the and you know what i mean like he 
is surgical with this shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. hearing that approach, I was like, oh my God. You know what I mean? And so that was kind of where I'm at with it now. It's much more, uh, uh, a lot more kind of methodical. First of all, you know, I, listen, this can, you already know, you know what I'm saying? You, you, <laughs> with a hand down, with a couple of pins, you know, Man, you go already ahead. know what I, what I think. Go ahead. Look, if, if I put my money on anybody, <laughs> and you know, Munch as well, and I'm honored to Oh, man, come on. Munch is, Munch is God. Come on. What are we but talking you, about? You know, just such a, you, you've always had such a unique approach, and it's so interesting, but I, like I said, the process changes. I'm a, I'm a fan of people's, pro- process is one of my favorite words in the entire mm-hmm. world. You're hear me say it several times, even in this interview, but I can't, and people always ask me, like, who would you love to collaborate? I say, I'd lo- I just love to watch. I love just being in a room when Pharrell Monch is working or mm-hmm. when Erica Badu is working or when Fonte's working, like just so I can see the process of how somebody's putting something together. It's always amazing. And it, guess what? It always works differently for different and people. And it's always different. That's the thing. Everybody's thing is different, man. And yeah. it's just, yeah, I remember like, you know, when we were working and, you know, and I would see just kind of, you know, cause you would, I would tune into the process, like your, your, you know, your, your platform. And, I was just again. It was just one of those things, you know, for 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 people listening. You know, Arrow he has a uh, thing. Is it still on Patreon? Is it still you still on Patreon? Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah uh, called yeah. the process where you know um, he pretty much just Netflixed himself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was ahead of the curve. You, I mean, you did this shit down there ten years ago. <laughs> but um, you know, but he has a, a thing called the process where you can just tune in and watch him create songs and. That is just, again, just one of those things where I'm just like, dude, I would never, like, never, like, oh, my God, like, having cameras in the studio while I'm like, bro, that is, yo, I would rather you have a camera in the dressing room while I'm, like, trying on sweatpants or some shit, like, a camera in the studio while I'm creating, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, I just, I just, I can't do it, bro, I just, it freaks me out. I learned this quickly, which you, you, me and you have done a million songs, but when we decided to do the Tigalero album, right? When we did the Tigalero album, it was, it was very obvious to me, okay, I am one who wants to go through it to figure it out. You're one who wants to figure it out before you go through it. It was, t- facts, to me, facts. exact, we, 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 we were so exact opposite that we actually were the same in some form mm-hmm, fashion, right? Mm-hmm, and it, compl- mm-hmm. it worked out, it complimented, but it was like, you know, I'm definitely one who's like, put cameras on me. Like I'll do what like, I'm down to like, just throw it against the wall. Like whatever. And you like, nah, bro, we ain't throwing nothing against the wall. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to 10 headshots. I got 10 bullets. Hell yeah. 10 bullets, <laughs> and, and, 10 to the, it, to the head. <laughs> and I think to a degree, you know, I maybe I was able to pull you a bit off center. That's a, 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 I, absolutely. I I had this beautiful thing about the conversation about collaboration, how amazing the, the collaboration it is. But it's like you were able to pull me off center and I was able to pull you off center. And it, that's where the magic of all that, you know, laid at right there. But yet we had we definitely had two different type of um, theories when we came in to do that album. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Of just stop throwing <laughs> stuff against the wall because this is not, that's not going to work. He's he's not going to understand. Like, it's, no, he's like, not homie. We, we ain't just throwing stuff against the wall. Like, no, we planning out our shots and we're going <laughs> 10 for 10. It's going to be 10 for 10. Listen, you know? man, listen. No, it was so informative because I just had never, because I had, I was never that person that, you know, and I always admired, you know, that. And that was something working with you it in a lot of ways it kind of reminded me of working with Pooh, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and LB because 
Pooh was like that coming up. Like Pooh was the guy that Pooh would just record nonstop. He would just go in and just bang, bang, rap, gang. And he was way more prolific than I was. And, you know, that was something that I always admired, you know what I mean? Because I just was never like that. It just always felt like I was wasting people's time. I'm like, yo, if I ain't really coming with no heat, like I'm going to just shut the fuck up because I ain't, you know what I mean? I just ain't. I ain't trying to be out here just experimenting. Like, when I show up, I want it to be for real. And so we were working on that album. First off, you know, for everybody listening at home, to this day, I have no idea how we finished that record. Um, no idea. That was at the time, because I think you were, were you about to have your third son at that time? Or had he just been born? Hey. He had just been born. So we had, so so me and Fine decided we we're gonna make an album and we had been talking for about two years about planning to Straight do up. it. You waited till you went on tour <laughs> and then you called. I was me. on tour I with remember, I remember the phone call. You said, E, I'm ready. Let's start. Let's start. The t- it, we, at that point we weren't even calling Tigalero yet. We didn't call let's it Tigalero yet. We didn't have a title. Let's start the album. And I said, Oh, that's that's great. I'm in the hospital. <laughs> My wife just had a baby. <laughs> and you was kind of like, that's dope, but this is the window. Like, this is the window. Like, this is the time. And I was like, literally holding the child like, okay, if this is the window, then let's go. Now, mind you, you know, to help out one thing, this is my third child in, you know, in probably six years. So we, we were having a child like mm-hmm. ten, first Yeah, y'all was having stair step kids. Yeah. Little, little break, uh, see, like a three-year break, and then we had another child, right? And so I've been recording with kids in my hand, you know, like for the last mm-hmm. seven years, pretty much mm-hmm. last five years, whatever. So I was, you know, okay, all right, cool. But literally the next, like, two days later, we were we were cutting. And I mean, yeah. 90% of that record was cut literally with that kid like hold him. I said it in one of the songs. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. It's in your verse. Yeah. So we were like, but then you were like, like I said, you were in a different state. I feel like he was in a different state every time you send me something. We at no point we would ever we didn't see each other. Nah. What's crazy? It's, it was it's straight like, foreign exchange we're, style, bro. Like it was straight up completely. Just email. Even the album cover, everything was just hilarious. How it all came <laughs> together, but yet as locked in, we could not have been any more locked in. And I think that's the that's the magic of it, you know. I think which is which is really really special. When I go back and listen to those songs, you know, they were they were amazing. I mean, it was a blur because it was really a crazy, total blur. Yeah, but that record, <laughs> I, man, listen. I mean, that record made me just a better musician all the way around. Just you know, better singer songwriter because it was just it was very much for me. It was just a thing of just kind of iron sharpening iron. And you know, I, I'm I've just always just been a believer in. You know, when you're collaborating with people that you respect, you know, you just always want to you, you want to be on your best behavior, so to speak. You know, you always want to yeah. make sure you show up as the best because, you know, I knew like you just had a kid um, 2016. That was when, um, yeah, I lost my dad and my man. Yeah, the night we did. Um, I think the night we did Atlanta, um, it was like shortly after that. I can't re- remember. It was this was 20 it's 2016. Um, but yeah, uh, I lost like my, my, my granddad died on like Tuesday and then my dad died on like Sunday and all of this shit was happening while we're in the middle of the record. You know what I'm saying? And so I knew that you were showing up. I'm like, he just had a kid. Like I got through what I'm going through, but man, fuck this. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm staying in this. We're going to finish this, you know? And, uh, and I always admire just, you know, your efficiency, um, just because, 
I knew working with you, I'm like, I, I know this will get done. I know it'll get done. And yeah. I just always, you know, wanted to just maintain that trust. It's like, yo, if Arrow send me something, he knows is I'm knocking it out and it's over with. Yeah, we we have. I mean, we've had a great relationship over music. It was a, it was it was time, and we of course <laughs> we showed up with we showed at the right time. But it was it was the craziest time. That for shit was crazy as hell to, to do an album. But you know what? It, now, you know, it's even funny though. Like the the whole how we Tigalero, we said that as a joke, as a joke, <laughs> for, like. That was the way we send it to each other. So you go, hey, I, I cut a verse back, Tigalero. Lero. And then you, and you send a verse back, Tigalero. And eventually, like, that joint kind of I think it's the album. Right. <laughs> like, why are you bullshitting? This, this that, guy, let's go. Might be, uh, that actually might be the next, you know. So listen, man. But once again, that was the happy medium of like, Going through it to see if it works, and see mm-hmm. if it works, see if it works before we go through. It. We, we kind of like, you know, because at no point we was committed, we were just having fun. But eventually, it was like that Tigalero kind of job. It actually yeah. kind of work a little. I'm bit. Like I'm not tired of it. I'm like I keep saying it. You know what I mean? I'm like this might be it. So fun time. Oh, I want to. Um, I want to ask you, man. Um, so back to your your days at Howard and your first deal on uh on Warner Brothers. Um I first off, you have no idea how excited I was to find out that you wrote The Moon, that The Moon was your song. Oh, wow. I mean, The Moon was I mean, man, The Moon was one of those songs that I literally remember hearing it one time on the radio when I was probably like, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. And I was like, oh, my God, like, who the fuck is this? This shit is amazing. (laughs) And never heard it again. And so then, you know, I mean, you know, 15, however many years later, I'm like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Um, How did you get that, uh, that Warner Brothers deal? What was that process like of signing with them? So my sophomore year, uh, the group Shy, who also was Howard, Mm -hmm. um, they had a big song. So they, they met if a I DJ, real DJ, right. And they sung the song for him. Two weeks, a week later, they were on the radio with him. Two weeks later, they were on Arsenio Hall. Two weeks after that, they were millions of copies later. You know, it just went, it just it, it exploded. And it, and it was crazy because all of us were singing and doing stuff on, on campus. But we were, tr- at that point, I was just trying to be the dopest on campus. I didn't even mm-hmm. think this could be something outside of this. And that was big. But the bigger part of it was also like, what? here's my demo. Like, just when you get to L.A., um, just pass it to somebody. And you, and these were songs that you had recorded previously before. Yeah, just like my, my demo at that time, my demo at that time, which uh, was just, I want to say the moon was probably on it. No, no, that's not true. Let me think for a second. No. So, all right. So Derek, who was a member of, uh, of shy Carl, I'm okay. sorry, was a member of shy introduced me to his brother. His brother was okay. managing the group, and he had some producers that were under Teddy Riley, and they sent me the track, and that's when I wrote wrote, wrote the moon. And then, of course, the phones at that point. At that point, now I'm doing class, and every weekend I'm pretty much like flying out to uh, take meetings and stuff. Met wow. with Peter Medina, met with Lil Siles before he passed, and uh-huh. um, just running past label at the label at the label. And what then, was Lil Silas like, man? He's is very time. You know, we don't really. We get few people on here that have worked with him, but what was he like? He was the guy uh, for everyone listening. Lil Silas Jr. was the he was the guy over at uh, MCA Records. Um, yep. You know, he played a you know big role. You know, New Edition. Uh, he formed Silas Records, like Shante Moore, Shante Moore, uh, yeah. Aaron. Like he was he was kind of one of the one of the OGs of this. What was he like? 
I just had one meeting with him, but I remember he was shooting straight from the hip. What I remember from him was he said, uh, and this was interesting because when I look back, um, so he's like, uh, listen, man, I just want to take a meeting with you. I think you already decided, you know, you're going to do the Warner Brothers thing, but I just want to meet with you, man. I like your music, this and that, whatever, whatever. And I was like, I appreciate it, you know. And, and I, I was like, kind of like, why you, like, why you mm-hmm. think I like? Why am I here? If you think I'm already going to Warner Brothers at that point, I really was going to Warner Brothers. I was deciding. Mm-hmm. He's like, I wanted to meet with you, kind of talk with you. And before I left the room, he was like, "So good, man. Hey, man, the music's dope, man. Listen, if you want, there's you know something over here, and and just let you know, man. I don't know why you're going to Warner Brothers because Benny ain't gonna be there for long. That's the wow. last thing he said as I walked out the door. Like I was like, okay, all right. And I walked out the door like whatever. And sure enough, I signed the deal and. Benny was out the door. Benny, Benny was like, wow. he, was, he went to focus on Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like Fresh right Prince, after yeah. that. And I was like, well, if he leaving, I'm leaving. But I, but I never thought of like, <laughs> I didn't even think, I just didn't even put two and two together, you know. And um, yeah, that's but, something you know, that a lot of artists I even talk to like now, just about how like you know it's signing to a label. That's just one of kind of the pitfalls you can have, where it's like you can have your guy or your girl, your person that's really riding for you that you might sign to or whatever that'll get you signed but if they leave you kind of lose your advocate like you ain't got nobody fighting for you and you just yeah. are back at square one what i'll tell you is uh almost almost immediately i got signed to island records and the interesting thing was when i went when i signed with warner brothers i signed in, in la and it was like stop the day everybody this is eric robertson day hey right and then when i went to <laughs> when i showed up to island I think I took the train in New York. And when I got there, it was like just a lawyer and the A&R. My, my boy, uh, Leotis Clyburn, shout out to Leotis. It was just the two of them. It was like a lawyer <laughs> and Leotis. And I was like, well, where's the cake? And like, where's the, you know, where's the fire? It's straight where's, business. Where's they were like, oh, it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a quiet day. I was like, oh, okay, all right, sign it, whatever, took a picture, whatever. And then I, I think I got back on the train. I might stay the day in New York. And then like the next day I got home. But when I got back, I remember my manager calling me and going, yo, Hiram Hicks just got signed as president of mm. Ireland. And mm. I knew immediately what that meant. It was like, so why the hell did we just sign there? Because he's going to come and wipe every wipe everybody out. And, and sure mm. enough, he did. He came in and was like, Leotis lost his job. Then it was like contracts. Just, it, it just wiped mm. the whole thing out. And it's crazy because, you know, initially you heard your ego, you know, because at first it was like, yo, listen to the music first. He's like, I don't even care. No, I got my home. I got my whole team. I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. He I'm didn't bring care. Drew and and like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm bringing mm-hmm. my whole thing in. And and then later on, I ended up working with Hiram. It was, it was fine because I, when I worked with him, I was at this point years later, I'm like, let's get this money. Like, I'm not even chipping like, <laughs> you, 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 you know, I ain't worried about that. Let's get this money. But, um. But you understand that, like that's how it was. The president come in, they're like, I don't care what was here before. I'm bringing my guys. That I believe in. I'm bringing my people in, and this and that mm-hmm. and that. And I had to learn that was the biggest lesson for me that like my music can't save me. Like you got to be on point, Bruh. You got to be Bruh. on point because like you can't sing your way out of this. This cat didn't care what the music sounded like. He was like, let's get out, like you out of here. So that's when I really started learning. And another thing was really important too. So Benny Benny Medina's office had a this wall of like CDs and tapes and dats from ceiling to floor, the entire wall. Like it's crazy. Of submissions. Of just music, period. I'm, oh, and, just and music, I, period. Nah, okay, gotcha. And, I, and I've been in this office probably like 10 times, right? Just over the last two months or whatever it was. And there's like a whole row of prints. Here's all the other names I don't know. I mean, just music, music, music. And then when I got signed, I think they said, well, what do you want to do next? 
Like, you ever had enough time to catch some food or whatever? I said, I want you to change my flight and give me some headphones. I want to listen to this wall. It was the first time I felt like I had the right to say that. And I stayed there that night just going through, like, just pulling every CD, every tape, every dad out and just listening to that whole wall. And it was the most amazing musical night of my life hearing Prince songs I never heard for. And then like, well, who's this cat? Oh, that's the new deal we signed. His album supposed to come out, whatever, whatever. And then you never hear that. And there's mm. people on here who could clearly be the next Prince, but it never saw the light of day. It was just like, cr- this wall was crazy. Wow. But it never left me to like, well, what happened to all those people? Like what happened to all that music? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the reasons why I kind of went like the whole independent route was like, I never wanted to be one of the people on that wall. Like it just, that, that scared the hell out of me. Like, yo, this, this is life changing music up here. That's never going to be released. It's never going to see yeah. the light of day. And, and the only it, reason I'm hearing it is because I'm actually signed to these, to the label. To it <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. 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 The only reason I ever heard it. And then, you know, we, 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 we writing songs and producing songs for people. We've, we've done whole albums on people and the albums never come out. So you wow. like, you like, you know, I remember like wanting to be an artist, but yet having a career as a songwriter and seeing an artist get signed, see them flying in, getting put into some glorious hotel and recording for a month. And you think, okay, it can really pop for this person. And then whether it's the president label, the A&R department, marketing team, whatever, they like, nah. And then that person is back. And it's just over. Doing hair or work construction. It's over. It's like, how wait a minute, how is it, all, that never set right with me, you know, I was like, how is it just over? So the Island Warner Brothers thing was was really, really tough. After that, like I so said, I went back to school and that was tough because you got to think, I, during the moon time, I was in school. So I was mm-hmm. in class while that song was playing on the radio and the video was playing. And then I was like, well, I'm leaving to go focus on the album mm-hmm. and blow up. Ah, I'll be sure I'm the next one, you know? And and then the deal started falling apart. Like as soon as I left school, it was like, boop, 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 boop. Like life really hit. And and I had to like really, but so when I went back on campus, it was like, what you doing back? Like, mm-hmm. what, what is that? You know? Mm-hmm. And it was humbling. It was really, really humbling. But my pen wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for that time going back. I became a better student. Every Like the person you know now is that person who showed back up at that school. Mm-hmm. Like learning like, oh, I need more. I need to know more. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you when you were with Warner, that was was that an album deal or was it just a single deal for the Moon? Like, so it was, was a sing, it was a single deal. Uh, it was a single deal, and before we could even go into the song was thirty three on the charts, and then Benny left. So it was like wow, it, and I think we were moving towards it was moving towards like we're gonna do a whole album deal, and then I did an album deal with with Island. And then, like I said, that one that one wiped out as fast yeah. as you could possibly imagine. But I remember, like, the song, the moon was doing great. It was doing great for me. It was growing. It was climbing. And then it was like, let's move. Because <laughs> no, nah, it was no, it was, was a great song. To, yeah, clearly what's about to happen here is bad. Like you know, and <laughs> uh, and it was just a whole little president hop for for a nice man. It seemed like a year. You know what I mean? Just trying to go from one one label to another. Man, please tell the story as, as much as, as you want to tell. Please tell the story of doing your promotional tour with El DeBarge <sighs> of Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is one of the greatest. I you told me this story. I never get to. We was at the guy. We was at the damn Bob Evans somewhere in the middle of. Jersey, I don't know where the fuck. But I just remember we was at a Bob Evans like one morning right, after right. the show. Or there's something. so many, there's so many levels of it. There's so many levels <laughs> of the story. But what I, what I would tell you, and disrespectfully, I, I remember, I remember 100%. one thing. I remember one thing. The the rep, the Warner Brothers rep, said, if if L ever calls you, even five o'clock in the morning, wants to go play pool, go play pool with him. You know, he's like, go play pool. If you ever need to talk, if you ever need to hang out, like this is one of your main reasons for being on this tour is like, if he ever needs you, like follow through, like answer the call. And I, you know, we all know that L. DeBar just had some, some substance issues, whatever. And this was during his clean period. So I think that what he was talking about is like, yo, if you ever want to play pool, he needs to go out and play he pool. Needs that, he needs yeah. whatever. So, you know, we became fast friends in that, in that time. And he was just so amazing man like every hotel we showed up he went and sat at a piano he almost do a whole concert in that lobby like just waiting for our rooms or just just he would sit at the piano every time he was just so musical we would do a show i mean we did a show i think in connecticut and the sound system was just horrible and he stood on that stage and he waited and the sound was just trash and he waited let everybody crash and burn and right before they opened doors he said hey brother can i just uh Come over there. He he talked exactly the way he said he's saying. Can I come over there and just uh just look at the mixing board if that's all right? And the guy's like, Yeah, sure. In like probably 10 minutes, he took the mic back there and he started turning knobs and he cleared all drama, like all clouds just cleared. The sound sounded enormously incredible that night. And 
And that's just how he was. He was like, he knew how to work everything. He was a constant professional. He had been through everything. We were driving one time and I told him, I said, yo, man, I really like your album. The album's great. We, we were going, I think we were k- taking a limo from Connecticut to Boston, I think it was something like that, okay. driving in. And he says, man, the album's a, the album's, this album's a money album. So I remember that. I would this never forget this, this album. Shit. The money yeah. album. Because you had told him, because you had told him it was a good album. He was like, yo, this is a good album. He was like, oh, nah, this is a money nah, album. Nah. Yeah. This ain't a good album. This is a money album. He said, I'm doing my money album so I can get a chance to do a good album. And he was like, he's Game, like, bro. Marvin Gaye did money albums till he was able to do a good album. Bob Marley did money albums till he was able to do it. He just ran down the line. And then mm-hmm. he just said, so this right here, that's just a money album. Cause I'm getting ready to do a good album. And he just went, just wandered <laughs> off. And I just left me thinking like, I need to do my good album. <laughs> I gotta do my good album, right. <laughs> you know, it's like every, I mean, he just had, I could have made a t-shirt off of everything he said. You know what I mean? You know, uh, I remember we was at his birthday party and, uh, and I, was this, was uh, this the don't, don't fall in love, man? Don't yeah, fall in love, man. He saw, he saw my eyes was glistening that night. And he, said, he was like, he said, Hey man, don't fall in love. Just don't <laughs> fall in love. <laughs> I was like, too late, L. <laughs> yeah. The, t- the but, wisdom of L. Yeah, the, wi- the wisdom of, I make a whole album on the wisdom of L. But it was just, it was to learn like a constant professional, man. His showmanship on and off stage was just, you know, he was just tough. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, you know, and also I was a person, it was probably the start of, I was a person who always had vocal issues. I mean, I got hoarse. I mean, mind you, I was doing like two songs in the show and then get out the mm-hmm. way. And in those two songs, I was struggling to maintain my, I was getting hoarse and stuff like that. So to see somebody who sang all day, all, all day. night, mm-hmm. on stage, off stage, it really, it really blew me away. And it was probably on the steps of like, how do I get to that point? How do I get to a point where I can get more health, like really healthier? That get that stamina, um, yeah. And 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 that was the start of it. Like, and I was I was nineteen, really. So I was it was it was crazy, but it was a good learning lesson for me. Like, yo, this is this. If you're gonna learn from a pro, <laughs> learn from Dag on Elder Barge. Was Esoteric? Was that your first um, independently released? Well, not independently. Was that your first album? Period. Like that actually saw the light of day. Yeah, yeah, it's first album. Period. So, uh, what's crazy is that I I moved to Atlanta, and I eventually, eventually ran into ran into Touch of Jazz. So that was like like life-changing moment was like working mm-hmm. at Touch of Jazz. And then I moved back, I went back to Atlanta to just get my stuff. Cause I from the moment I met Touch of Jazz, like when the moment I went to Jazzy Jeff Studio, it's like I just never left. Rock with and you, Kevin to, Brown, still one of my favorite like records. Just I love oh, that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, me and Jeff, me and all those brothers at a touch of jazz was like that was graduate school for me. That was like the life changing moment for me. But when I went back to get my truck and like move out of my apartment, I had a session with Joe and Uncle Sam. I was working at Noontime. Wow. At Noontime, Teddy Bishop. Teddy Bishop. Teddy Bishop. Yeah. Jazzy Faye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Michael. Uh, Brian, Michael Brian Michael Cox. Cox. Uh, I mean, just killers in this, in, in, down there. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe had a concert. So when he went, he's like, I'm going to go to my concert and I'm going to come back and finish the song. So I went to take a nap at a friend's house and left just, but mind you, I'm leaving the next day. I'm driving back up to Jersey and someone broke into my truck and took 
just took the bag out the front seat and that bag was every song I ever recorded up to wow. that point. So it's like everything in high school, everything in college, everything at Warner Brothers, everything at Island, all gone in in just a a snap. Like I come out to the car and it's just glass everywhere, the truck or whatever. And uh and that was like that was really like, oh snap. So I mean it was like really starting over. You're starting over. I was about to say it's a full reset. Completely full reset. Yeah. And then I went, no, I was still working on, of course, working on Touch of Jazz. And then I just started, um, I started just working on Esoteric. And then it was like, I didn't have a deal, you know? And it was like, at that point, I'm I'm Eric Robertson, a songwriter. Like, I'm proud of myself. Mm-hmm. Every room I walk in, I am Eric Robertson, a songwriter. And did you, so, had you signed your deal, your songwriting deal with EMI at that time? Or was this prior yeah, to that? Yeah, I had, my, I had my publishing deal. I had my publishing deal with, um, with EMI at the time. And, and things were working for me. I mean, as a songwriter, I couldn't have been happier. You know what I mean? Because at this point, I, that's, you talk about the music, Soul Child stuff, the Vivian Green stuff, everything's working. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't satisfied. And I had, I got it. I actually had a, a bad, like a bad breakup. And that's what really sparked it. Like I was like, let me just start, just close the studio door and just start working. That was the only way I knew how to get back mm-hmm. to neutral was like just write. So I was either writing in a journal or I was writing a song. It was like back and forth. And then the album was done. And it was I, I it really was like I was just unwilling to sell these songs because they were like mm-hmm. they were way too personal, way too much. And it was like, oh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out. And I remember like really the homies like all laughing, like, what you mean you're gonna put it out? You just gonna put it out? I was like, I think I'm just gonna put it out. Like, how? <laughs> you ain't got no, you, you got a record deal now? Like, no, nah, I'm just gonna figure it out and put it out. And that was it. It just started. And this from- is two thousand what, two? Or 2000, was this, this? 2000, 2001. One, okay. And, and, and mind you, by no means without a first, by no means. I remember Dwelly had Rise. Mm. I knew of I knew of a lot of artists who were independent and in different states and everywhere. Um, shout out to Fertile Ground, who was the first group. Yes, Atlanta. Like, yeah, Navasha. Yeah. You know, putting out music, like independently putting out music and selling records. So by no means without a first. If anything that was different from me and anyone else, I remember like, I remember Carl Thomas being an independent artist. Um, I remember uh, Kim. I remember Kim before before mm-hmm. Motown signed him. Uh, John Legend before uh, before he, he was, was John Stevens. Yeah, he was John we, Stevens. We had, we had the Kobe. He had, he had the Kobe haircut. Yeah, was, <laughs> yes, <yeah>. yes. <laughs> so I remember it. The difference was like, you know, once you sold a certain amount of records independently, the labels would come scoop you up. That's how it, that was a normal thing. And I was like, well, what happens if, if you don't sign with them? What happens if you certain, sell a certain amount and then just keep going? Keep rocking, yeah. What, what, what will happen then? And I think that if anything's different, that's that's the part where we got to the we got to the point where we could have went to a deal and 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 worked their stuff out. We had sold enough records. We had got enough attention. And then guess what? Most of the labels, because of my songwriting stuff, knew who I was. And for whatever reasons, if there was situations which, which we did have some, they didn't work out. But for the most part, I was like, let's just push through, man. Let's push through and see what happens. And it worked out, man. I mean, to be honest with you, it's just, it, I, you sit here and think I had a master plan. I didn't. It just worked out. <laughs> it really. Yeah. And when you formed with your label, Blue Arrow Soul, was that like, how did you assemble, I guess, the team? You know, was it, you know, you go to your parents and say, hey, I need some help. Uh, is it just homies you work with? Like, how did you work those steps of figuring out what you needed as an independent artist? The first part was the, the fans challenged me to take it more serious. They wanted more music. And it was like, OK, if we're going to because I thought I was going to put an album out and then just go back to songwriting and producing for people. But they were like, we want more. We want more. It's like, 
okay, how do we work that out? The biggest difference, the first step was my dad retired. And then okay. I remember he came into the studio one time. And at that point I would do like, I would record all night. And then I might would go to the gym for like a couple of hours. And then I would, from like 12 to four, was just like packing CDs up and like just making printing packages. And I would spend that time at the post office. And then when I finished the post office, say five o'clock, it was back recording from five to four o'clock till I just couldn't stand up anymore. And I, and I repeated it. And my dad walked in one day when I was like preparing stuff. He says, what you doing here? And I was like, I got to ship all this stuff off, like ship, ship the CDs off. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you need help? <laughs> That's how I was like, like, you need help with that? And I was like, if you could take this as a post office, that, that would be a lot of help. And he was like, yeah, cool. So then I was at that point, I was like, okay, I can just focus on music. And to be honest with you, you know, Jarrell, who has been one of my mm-hmm. best friends, he has managed me off and Shout on. Jarrell, my yeah. yeah, you know, he's he's been around. And I think Jarrell kind of watched for a while and he was like, eventually stepped in, was like, how you need help? Let's whatever. And um, and then the rest of the truth be told, the rest of it was like fans. I think wow. Sweet Locks was around and she was around. It was like, what do you do? I like, hey, join me. Let's, you know, it's like, Mm-hmm. Sweet Life eventually joined on. Um, Demo eventually joined on. Anshi eventually yeah. joined on. It was really, I mean, and mind you, I don't want to naively think that they were just like, fans, yeah. It was more like these are people who also had desires in the industry, mm-hmm. but they were around. And the more we talked, it was like, well, I'm trying to do this. What do you do? You know? Yeah. There's, uh, there's a mutual win here. There, there's we, a mutual yeah, win. Should. There's a mutual win. Like even uh, Demo... Uh, I think he was, he sung background for me on a show. Like somebody linked me up and he sung background. You know, at that point it was like house band, show up, whatever, whatever. And then Mm -hmm. we started picking up a band. I think he came and said, if I show up to a, show up to a show, can I do the gig? I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. I was like, next show was in Toronto, Canada. He's like, all right, cool. He was in Toronto. I was like, next show was in LA. He was in LA. Then the next show was in Atlanta. He was in Atlanta. So now I was like, how you getting here? Like, he's like, well, Kevin, <laughs> figure this out. So then I remember like, so can you get my band tickets like that? And he's like, yeah, y'all can do that. And that's how he started book. That's how he started. He started like, he, he's been like the role manager, <laughs> the background singer, role manager ever since, yeah. then, you know, and, and I remember like Anshia, who now is a powerhouse in the book and she's booking everybody's shows. But I remember we were, this probably six, seven years ago, she was already in the staff. She was rocking in the staff, but I said, I need more help in the booking area. Can someone move over? And she was like, I'll move the booking. And mind mm-hmm. you, she probably already has some insight on it, but then she she moved over there and like just started rocking. So it was really just a community of people that were trying to grow, trying to be better. And I was fortunate they joined up with me to, to join in with my company. And it's great because now they have their own businesses and mm-hmm. their families and, and their own successes, but yet can invest in, in mine as well. So it's, it's been great. The history, I mean, the history of just who's worked for me, who's played for me is probably one of my proudest, proudest things. Like just, man, man. Yeah. Killers. Killers. I'm honored. I'm honored to see yeah, Demo man Demo I, I gotta shout out I mean just first of all I mean your whole team I mean every time we've always traveled you know it's always been love it's always just been you know you you, you just have amazing people around you and that was just a, a big lesson I think I learned just from kind of touring with you and just kind of seeing the way you built out your infrastructure of just 
okay, like these is just like people that he really fuck with and they just fuck with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they trust each other. And, um, you know, Demo, I got to shout Demo out. Demo saved my life one night. I was, it was after we did, bro, it was after we did Chicago. We did Chicago and, um, I feel like this is around the same time that like my dad was dying, like all this shit is going on. Wow. But, um, so it's after the show and, uh, and it's late and I'm just in the lobby. I don't even, I can't remember what it was. I was, I was outside talking to something, but I was just in the lobby. Demo shows up with a bucket of goddamn hurls. Let me tell you something, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he showed up with a Demo showed, he just in the lobby with a bucket of hurls. And I think he had his kids with him that night. And, uh, yeah. And I was like, I said, yo, I said, yo, I said, yo, man. I said, you know, I ain't even try. I said, bro. Man, let me get one of them wings. He said, oh, no, nah, bro, I got you, man. Come on, I got you. Man, he gave me some of them wings, bro. Listen, I said, you are the realest dude. Like, to part with Harold's in Chicago, <laughs> that is the sacrifice. Like, so sacrifice. big ups. It saved my brother Demo. Man, nah. listen, I, need, I needed that wing right then. I really needed it. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, you know what? Good guy. Like I said, man, you know, and it's funny, you know, as now I'm a parent, but I watched this guy's, being a solid dad to his kids, you know what I mean? And, you know, and, and I think he's a perfect example of everybody has had to wear multiple hats on my team. And I, I love watching like a, a venue manager or promoter watch, finish up negotiations with him. And, and then watch him go on stage. Jacket <laughs> and get on stage and then like sing. And they're like, yo, wait a minute, it wasn't the same dude. It's like, but guess what? We all had to, we all had to do it. We all had to wear different hats to, to make all this work. You know what I mean? So, so shout out to him. Yo, find Demo's music. You know, you got a new album coming out in the whole nine. Once yes, again, indeed. like everybody, everybody that's in the team is working on something. And, um, and I'm honored. Like I said, I'm honored that they take time to build with me and that they're building their own stuff as well. Yo, 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 what up? This is Fonte Fontiglo. Listen, stay tuned because part two of my one-on-one -on -one conversation with my big brother, Eric Roberson, is coming next week. We get even further into life things, some family stuff. We get into the recording process, uh, our making of Tigalero. We're getting all that good stuff. So check for us next week. It's going down on Quest Love Supreme. All right, peace. Much Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.